The Second Stain by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle Dramatised by Grant Eustace with Roy Marsden as Sherlock Holmes and John Moffat as Dr. Watson. It was one Tuesday morning in autumn that Sherlock Holmes and I received two notable visitors within the walls of our humble room in Baker Street. One, austere, eagle-eyed and dominant, was the illustrious Lord Bellinger, Premier of Britain. The other, dark, handsome and elegant, was the Right Honourable Trelawney Hope, Secretary for European Affairs. The Premier's gaunt face looked gloomily from Holmes to me, and the European Secretary pulled nervously at his moustache as he spoke. When I discovered my loss, Mr. Holmes, I at once informed the Prime Minister. Mm. At what time did you make the discovery? At eight o'clock this morning. At Lord Bellinger's suggestion, we have both come to you. Have you informed the police? No, sir. We have not done so. Nor is it possible that we should do. That must, in the long run, mean to inform the public. Why, sir, should you desire to avoid that? Because the document in question is of such immense importance that its publication might very easily, I might almost say probably, lead to European complications of the utmost moment. It is not too much to say that peace or war may hang upon the issue. Ah. Yes, I understand. Now... Mr. Trelawney Hope, I should be much obliged if you would tell me exactly the circumstances under which this document disappeared. That the European Secretary proceeded to do in a very few words. The letter from a foreign potentate, for such was the missing document, had been received six days before. It was of such importance that he had not left it in his safe, but had taken it home each evening and kept it there in a locked dispatch box. It was there last night. This morning it was gone. Where was the dispatch box? It had stood upon my dressing table all night. Mm. Uh, are you a light sleeper? I am, and so is my wife. We are both prepared to swear that no one could have entered the room during the night. How long did the dispatch box lie unguarded? Uh, well, we dined at half past seven. I waited up for my wife, who had gone to the theatre. It was half past eleven before we went to our room. So it was some four hours. But no one except my wife's maid or my valet is permitted to enter that room, and they are both trusted servants. Besides, neither of them could have known there was anything more valuable than ordinary departmental papers in that box. Who did know of the existence of the letter? No one in the house. Oh, surely your wife knew. Until this morning, I have never breathed one word upon the matter to my wife. Hmm. Who is there in England who did know of the existence of this letter? Each member of the cabinet was informed of it yesterday. And besides them? Uh, there are two, possibly three, departmental officials who know of it. No one else in England, Mr. Holmes, I assure you. Ah. And abroad? I believe no one save the man who wrote it. Hmm. Now, sir, I must ask you more particularly what this document is. The envelope is a long, thin one of pale blue. There is a seal of red wax stamped with a crouching lion. It is a dress. Yes, yes, I, I, I feel that essential as these details are, my inquiries must go to the heart of the matter. Hmm. What was the letter? That is a state secret of the utmost importance, and I fear I cannot tell you, nor do I see that it is necessary. Hmm. 
Well, you are two of the most busy men in the country, and in my own small way, I also have a good many calls upon me. Therefore, I regret exceedingly that I cannot help you. Mr. Holmes. Any, any continuation of this interview would, I'm afraid, be a waste of time. The Premier sprang to his feet with that quick, fierce gleam of his deep-set eyes before which a cabinet had cowered. But then he mastered his anger and resumed his seat. For a minute or more, we all sat in silence. Then the old statesman shrugged his shoulders. Well, we must accept your terms, Mr. Holmes. It is unreasonable for us to expect you to act unless we give you our entire confidence. But I rely entirely upon your honour and that of your colleague, Dr. Watson. You may safely trust us. Very well, then. The letter is from a certain foreign potentate who has been ruffled by some of Great Britain's recent colonial developments. It has been written hurriedly and upon his own responsibility entirely. It is couched in so unfortunate a manner, and certain phrases in it are so provocative, that its publication would lead to a most dangerous state of feeling in this country. Holmes wrote a name upon a slip of paper and handed it to the Premier. Exactly. It was he. And it is his letter that has become lost in this unaccountable fashion. Perhaps the sender desires publication. On the contrary. We have strong reason to believe that he already understands that he has acted in an indiscreet and, and, and hot-headed manner and regrets the fact. Why should anyone desire to steal the letter or to publish it? Well, there, Mr. Holmes, we enter regions of high international politics. But if you consider the European situation, you will have no difficulty in perceiving the motive. Great Britain holds the scales between two armed confederacies. If we were driven into war with one, it would assure the supremacy of the other. So it is in the interest of the enemies of this potentate to secure and publish this letter so as to make a breach between his country and ours. Yes, sir. And if it fell into such hands, it would speed immediately to any of the great chancellors of Europe. It would. Now, Mr. Holmes, you are in full possession of the facts. What course do you recommend? You think that unless this document is recovered, there will be war? It is very probable. Hmm. Then prepare for war. Oh, my... That is a hard saying, Mr. Holmes. Well, consider the facts, sir. On Mr. Trelawney Hope's evidence, it's inconceivable that the letter was taken after 11.30 last night. What's taken? No one has any reason to retain it. So it is passed on at once to those who need it. What chance have we now to overtake it? What you say is perfectly logical, Mr. Holmes. I feel the matter is indeed out of our hands. Mm. Well, let, let, let us presume, for argument's sake, that the document was taken by the maid or the valet. So they are both old and tried servants. Yes, well, if your room is, as you say, on the second floor, only someone within the house could have taken the letter unobserved. Now, to whom would the thief take it? To an international spy. Mm. There are three in London who may be said to be the heads of their profession. I will begin my research by going round and seeing if any of them is missing, and especially if he has disappeared since last night. But why should he be missing? He would take the letter to an embassy in London. No, I believe you are right, Mr. Holmes. He would take so valuable a prize to headquarters with his own hands. I think that your course of action is an excellent one. Meanwhile, we cannot neglect our other duties. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. 
The two statesmen left us after promising to communicate with us if there should be any fresh developments. Holmes lit his pipe and sat for some time lost in the deepest thought. I had opened the morning paper and had become immersed in a sensational crime which had occurred in London the night before when my friend stood up and laid his pipe upon the mantelpiece. The situation is desperate, but not hopeless. Even now, if we could be sure which of them has taken it, it is just possible that it has not yet passed out of his hands. After all, it's a question of money with these fellows. Well, you have the British Treasury behind you. Yes. If it's on the market, I'll buy it. Now, as I said, there are only three men capable of playing a game as bold as this. So I must see Oberstein, La Rotière, and Eduardo Lucas. Is that Eduardo Lucas of Godolphin Street? Yes. You will not see him. Why not? He was murdered in his house last night. What? Are you certain? Holmes has so often astonished me in the course of our adventures that it was with a sense of exultation that I realised how completely I had astonished him. You saw that in the paper? Yes, I did. Well, then, then please read out the article. I did as Holmes had asked, uh, telling him how a police constable had passed the door of number 16 Godolphin Street at a quarter to midnight and noticed that it was ajar. He knocked but received no answer, so he went into the front room where he could see a light. Beside a chair in the room, still grasping one of its legs, lay Eduardo Lucas, stabbed to the heart. Although the room was in a state of wild disorder, with all the furniture bar that one chair swept to one side, robbery did not appear to be a motive for the crime. There had been no attempt to remove any of the valuable contents of the room. Well, Watson, what do you make of it? It's an amazing coincidence. A coincidence? Here is one of the three men we have named as possible actors in this drama, and he meets a violent death during the very hours when we know that that drama was being enacted. The odds are enormous against it being coincidence. Hmm. No figures could express them. So the two events are connected? Well, they must be connected. But now the official police must know all. Not at all. They know all they see at Godolphin Street. They know, and shall know, nothing of Trelawney Hope's house in Whitehall Terrace. Only we know of both events, and can trace the relations between them. Godolphin Street is only a few minutes' walk from Whitehall Terrace. Indeed, it has already turned my suspicion against Lucas. Where do the other agents live, then? In the extreme West End. Oh. It's a small thing, and yet where events are compressed into a few hours, it may prove significant. Mm. Uh, hello, what have we here? Huh? Mrs. Hudson had appeared with a lady's card upon her salver. Holmes glanced at it, ah. raised his eyebrows, and handed it over to me. Yes, ask Lady Hilda Trelawney Hope if she would be kind enough to step up. A moment later, our modest apartment, already so distinguished that morning, was further honoured by the entrance of the most lovely woman in London. I had often heard of the beauty of the youngest daughter of the Duke of Belminster, but no description had prepared me for its exquisite reality. And yet, as we saw her that autumn morning, it was not her beauty, but her terror that sprang first to the eye. Has my husband been here, Mr. Holmes? Yes, madam, he has been here. I implore you not to tell him I came here. Your ladyship places me in a very delicate position. I beg that you will sit down and tell me why you have come, but I fear that I cannot make any unconditional promise. Mr. Holmes, 
There is complete confidence between my husband and me on all matters save politics. On this, his lips are sealed. He tells me nothing. He has already indicated as much. Now, I know that a paper disappeared from our house last night, but because the matter is political, my husband refuses to take me into his complete confidence. Yet it is essential, essential, I say, that I should thoroughly understand it. What was this paper that was stolen? Uh, madam, uh, what you ask me is really impossible. But, Mr. Holmes... Uh, you must see that it is so, madam. If your husband thinks fit to keep you in the dark over the matter, is it for me, who have only learned the facts under the pledge of professional secrecy, to tell what he has withheld? Surely you must ask your husband. I have asked him. I come to you as a last resource. But you would do me a great service if you would at least enlighten me on one point. What is it, madam? Is my husband's career likely to suffer through this incident? Unless it is set to right, it may have a most unfortunate effect. I see. From an expression which my husband used, I understood that terrible public consequences might arise from the loss of this document. If he said so, I certainly cannot deny it. Of what nature are they? Well, nay, madam, there again you ask me more than I can possibly answer. Then I will take up no more of your time. Once again, Mr. Holmes, I beg that you will say nothing of my visit. Uh, yes, ma'am. Good morning. Good morning. Now, Watson, the... Uh, well, the fair sex is your department. Huh? What was the lady's game? What did she really want? Well, surely her own statement is clear. Her anxiety is very natural. Yes, but think of her manner, Watson, her, her suppressed excitement, her tenacity in asking questions. Mm, she was certainly much moved. And you must have observed how she manoeuvred to have the light at her back. Well, she did not wish us to read her expression. And yet, uh, the motives of women are so inscrutable. You remember the woman at Margate who I suspected on the same grounds? Yes. <laughs> no powder on her nose. Uh, that proved to be the reason. Uh, well, I mean, how can you build on such quicksand? Well, I uh, I must be off. Well, uh, to Godolphin Street? Uh, yes, the solution lies with Eduardo Lucas, I'm sure. Yeah. Have you any idea what has happened? Oh, well, it's a capital mistake to theorise in advance of the facts. Now, do you stay on guard, my good Watson, and uh, receive any fresh visitors? All that day, and the next, and the next, Holmes was in a mood which his friends would call taciturn and others morose. It was evident to me that things were not going well with him or his quest, although he would say nothing of the case. So it was from the papers that I learned that the coroner's jury brought in the obvious willful murder, but by whom remained as unknown as ever. A council of despair, as an alternative to absolute inaction, led the police to arrest the deceased's valet, but then to release him because no case could be sustained against him. As to the housekeeper, she had heard nothing on the night of the crime. If Lucas had a visitor, he had himself admitted him. Then, upon the fourth day, I came upon a report from Paris in the newspaper. Really? Um, do you think it is pertinent? I do. A lady, a Madame Henri Fournay, has been reported to the authorities by her servants as being insane. Hmm. Upon investigation, it has been found from photographs that Monsieur Henri Fournay and Eduardo Lucas are one and the same person, mm -hmm. and that there is considerable evidence to show that the lady was in London on the night of the murder. 
One witness even saw a lady of her description watching the house in Godolphin Street. Hmm. My, my dear Watson, you are most long-suffering. If I have told you nothing in the last three days, it is simply because there is nothing to tell. Ah, but surely this is final as regards the man's death. I mean, the woman, in her madness, killed him when she discovered he was leading this double life in Paris and London. Very possibly. But it does not help us much. The man's death is a mere incident in comparison with our real task. To trace the document. And prevent a European catastrophe. Yes. Only one important thing has happened in the last three days, and that is that nothing has happened. I get reports almost hourly from the government, and it is certain that nowhere in Europe is there any sign of trouble. So the letter can't be loose. Then where can it be? Was it indeed a coincidence that Lucas met his death on the night when the letter disappeared? Did the letter ever reach him? Or perhaps this mad wife of his carried it off. How could I search her house in Paris without the French police having their suspicions aroused? Yes. It is a case, my dear Watson, where the law is as dangerous to us as the criminals are. At this point, we were interrupted by a note from Inspector Lestrade, who was in charge of the Lucas case. He seems to have observed something of interest. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, put on your hat, Watson, and we will stroll down together to Godolphin Street. Right. The scene of the crime was a high, dingy, narrow-chested house. Prim, formal, and solid. There's Lestrade at the front window. Yes, looking more like a bulldog than ever. <laughs> Morning, sir. Morning, Constable. Well, the inspector's waiting for you in the front room. Thank you. No trace of the crime now remained in the room in which it had been committed, save an ugly, irregular stain on the carpet. This carpet was a small square in the centre of the room, surrounded by a broad expanse of highly polished wood flooring. Over the fireplace was a magnificent trophy of weapons, one of which had been used that tragic night. Seen the news from Paris? Oh, yes, yes, in this morning's papers. Uh -huh. Our French friends seem to have touched the spot this time with the dead man's wife. We've got it all as clear as if we'd seen it. And yet you sent for me? Ah, yes. Mm. That's another matter, a mere trifle, nothing to do with the main fact. But the sort of thing you take an interest in, Mr Holmes? And what is it, then? Well, you know, after a crime, we are very careful to keep things in their position. Nothing has been moved. Officer in charge here, day and night. Of course. Ah, this morning, we thought we could tidy up a bit. We had occasion to raise this carpet. Hmm? Well, I'm sure you would never guess in a hundred years what we found. Well, what did you find? You've seen the stain on the carpet, blood. Well... A great deal must have soaked through, mustn't it? Oh, yes, undoubtedly. Well, there is no stain on the woodwork to correspond. Lestrade took the corner of the carpet in his hand and showed that it was indeed as he said. But the underside is as stained as the upper. Uh -huh. They must have left a mark. Oh, there is a second stain. But it doesn't correspond with the first. Over this side. Mm -hmm. <sighs> You see? What do you make of that, Mr. Holmes? Well, the two stains did correspond, but the carpet has been turned around. Well, that's clear enough. For the stains lie above each other if you move the carpet, yes. What I want to know is, who shifted it and why? Ah, 
Has that constable outside been in charge of the place all the time? Yes, yes, he has. Yes, yes well, we'll take my advice, Lestrade. Examine him carefully. Don't do it before us. We'll wait here. Hmm? Ask him how he dared to admit people and leave them alone in this room. Tell him you know someone has been here. By George. If he knows it, I'll have it out of him. And now, Watson. Now, right. Holmes burst into sudden action. He tore the carpet from the floor and in an instant was down on his knees, clawing at the squares of wood beneath it. One turned sideways as he dug his nails into it and hinged back to reveal a small black cavity. Ah. But when Holmes plunged his eager hand into it, oh. he drew it out empty. Uh, uh, quick, Watson, get it back again. Right. The carpet had only just been drawn straight again when we heard Lestrade returning. Sorry to keep you waiting, Mr. Holmes. Well, he has confessed. All right. Come in here, McPherson. I meant no harm, sir, I'm sure. The young woman came to the door last evening. Mistook the house, she did. And then we got talking. It's lonesome when you're on duty here all Get day. Get on with it. She'd read about the crime in the papers and wanted to see where it had happened. <clears throat> so you showed her? I saw no harm. She was a respectable young woman, sir. Oh. But when she saw that mark on the carpet, down she went in a dead faint. Water wouldn't bring her round, so I went round to the public house for some brandy. And when you returned, she'd gone? Yes, sir. Ashamed to face me, so I thought... You're the one who should be ashamed. But what about moving the carpet? Well, sir, it was a bit rumpled, certainly, when I came back. I straightened it out afterwards. It's a lesson to you that you cannot deceive me, Macpherson. It's lucky for you nothing is missing, or you would find yourself in queer spirit. Uh, uh, look, has this woman been here only once, Constable? Yes, sir. She was answering an advertisement about typewriting, she said, and came to the wrong number. Tall? Handsome? Oh, yes, sir. A well-grown young woman, and very handsome, to be sure. Very good. Come, Watson. I think we've more important work elsewhere. Mm -hmm. As we left the house, Lestrade remained in the front room while the repentant constable opened the front door to let us out. On the step, Holmes turned and held up something in his hand. Constable. Good Lord, sir. That's... Not a word. Oh. Excellent. Well, Watson, the curtain rings up for the last act. You will be relieved to hear that there will be no war, and with a little tact and management upon our part, nobody will be a penny the worse for what might have been a very ugly incident. Oh. We made straight for the residence of the European Secretary. But when we arrived, it was for Lady Hilda Trelawney Hope that Holmes inquired. Mr. Holmes, this is most ungenerous on your part. I explained to you that I desired to keep my visit to you a secret. Unfortunately, madam, I had no possible alternative. I had been commissioned to recover this paper. I must therefore ask you to be kind enough to place it in my hands. The lady sprang to her feet with the colour all dashed from her beautiful face. You... you insult me, Mr. Holmes. Come, come, madam, it is useless. The butler shall show you out. Do not ring, Lady Hilda. If you will work with me, I can arrange everything. If you work against me, I must expose you. You are mad. Holmes drew a small piece of card from his pocket. It was the face of a woman cut out of a portrait. The policeman outside Eduardo Lucas's house has recognised this. Oh. Now be frank with me. 
It's your only chance. I tell you again, Mr. Holmes, that you are under some absurd illusion. I am sorry, Lady Hilda. I have done my best for you. Holmes rang for the butler, and on learning that Trelawney Hope would be home in a quarter of an hour, decided to wait. The butler had hardly closed the door behind him before Lady Hilda was on her knees at Holmes's feet. Spare me, Mr. Holmes. For heaven's sake, don't tell him. It would break his heart. I'm thankful, madam, that you have come to your senses. There is not an instant to lose. Where is the letter? Here, in this desk. How can we return it? Where is the dispatch box? Still in the bedroom. Excellent. You have a duplicate key, of course. Mm -hmm. Use it then, Lady Hilda. Place the envelope deep down among the other papers. Of course, Mr. Holmes. When Lady Hilda returned, there were still ten minutes before her husband was expected. I'm going far to screen you. In return, tell me frankly the real meaning of this extraordinary affair. It was a letter of mine, Mr. Holmes. An indiscreet letter written before my marriage. I meant no harm, but I fear my husband would have thought it criminal. And this letter came into Lucas's possession? He offered to exchange it for a certain document of my husband's, which he would describe to me, or lay my letter in front of my husband. It was clear from the emotion in her voice that she valued her husband's love above all else, so she had followed the instructions Eduardo Lucas gave her to obtain the document and delivered it to Godolphin Street. When she was let in, she left the door ajar behind her, for she feared to be alone with the man. The instant I gave him the document, there was a sound at the door and steps in the hall. Lucas pulled back the carpet and put the document in a, in a hiding place in the floor. Did you see the other person? It was a woman, screaming in French, who rushed in and began to struggle with Lucas. I fled from the house, and only next morning in the paper did I learn what had happened. But you had your own letter. Yes, and so I was happy, until I saw my husband's anguish at the loss of his paper. The enormity of my offence was confirmed when I visited you. So I turned my whole mind to recovering the paper from its hiding place. As you have discovered, I finally succeeded in finding a way last night. There was no further time for discussion, for Trelawney Hope arrived, accompanied by the Prime Minister, and Lady Hilda withdrew. Gentlemen, I have inquired at every point where the letter might be, and I'm sure there is no danger to be apprehended. That is not enough, Mr. Holmes. We must have something definite. I am in hopes of getting it. That is why I'm here. I'm not convinced that anyone took the letter. Oh, my dear sir, Mr. Holmes, this joking is very ill-timed. You have my assurance that it is missing from the box. Uh, have you examined the box since Tuesday morning? No, oh, it was not necessary. You may conceivably have overlooked it. Oh, impossible. But I'm not convinced of it. I have known such things happen. Mixed up with the other papers, perhaps. No, no, I have had everything out. Well, surely it is easily decided. Let us have the dispatch box brought in. Trelawney Hope rang for his valet to fetch the box. Once he had it, he unlocked it and took out each paper one by one. A letter from Lord Morrow. Report from Sir Charles Hardy. Letter from... Oh, good heavens. Lord Bellinger, look, the letter, and intact. Oh, what a weight from my heart. 
This is inconceivable, impossible. Mr. Holmes, you are a sorcerer. How did you know it was there? Well, because I knew it was nowhere else. I must tell my wife that all is well. Hilda! Hilda! Come, sir. There is more in this than meets the eye. How came the letter back in the box? Ah, Watson and I also have our diplomatic secrets. Prime Minister? Oh, yes. <laughs> Indeed, Mr. Holmes. Indeed. In The Second Stain, by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Roy Marsden played Sherlock Holmes, John Moffat, Dr. Watson, Timothy Bateson, Lord Bellinger, Lawrence Payne, Trelawney Hope, Rosalind Ayres, Lady Hilda, Trelawney Hope, Steve Hodgson, Inspector Lestrade, and Andrew Wincott, the naive police constable McPherson. The music was written by Joss Sanglier and played by Joss Sanglier and Elizabeth Fellows. The Second Stain was dramatised by Grant Eustace and directed by Michael Bartlett for Daedalus Productions.